and welcome to the North Decatur Presbyterian Church Sermon Series. We're a PCUSA congregation in Decatur, Georgia. If you'd like to find out more about us, go to ndpc.org or just come by and visit. Here's this week's sermon. Matthew's Gospel, after Jesus has been resurrected, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Now when they saw the resurrected Christ, they worshipped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and spoke to them, I've received all authority in heaven and on earth, Therefore, you all go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of God and Christ and Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. That is the word of God for you, the people of God. I love this passage from Matthew's Gospel. We read it quite often here because it speaks such a profound truth to us. We know that the resurrection of Christ is good news. We perceive that it must have some profound implications for the world and for our own lives. And yet, even in the midst of this profound declaration, the text is very clear, some doubted. I think many of us want things in the world to be different than they are right now. As we sit here this morning, gathered together in worship, we can say, I think most of us, that the world as it is, is not the world that we wish for. We would like something Maybe many things to be different than they are right now. I think that that impetus, that, that sentiment is a fine and a holy sentiment to want things to be different. The complexity of it, as you probably know, is that while many of us would like things to change, we would mostly like things outside of us to change. Not all of us want to be changed. We'd love it if God would come into the world as God promises and make all things new. Maybe we don't want God to start with us. I love it that Jesus died and rose and came to proclaim good news. But when Jesus bids me to come and follow and die and rise, I like to pretend that that's just a metaphor. So the question that I want to hold in front of us this morning is what do we do to respond to God, to all of God and God's good news for us and for the world? What do we do in response? We know that in the physical world that we share together, there are laws that govern how objects respond. Newton's third law, for every action there is an equal and opposite 
reaction. You'd think that for all of us who wander into worship every Sunday and encounter somewhere in here an idea or a word or a phrase or an image or a felt sense of God and, and, and that lands in the middle of our lives and we perceive for a moment the height and breadth and depth and, and span of God's mercy and love for us and for the world, we would all leave this place ready to be the triage nurses of our world's spiritual and emotional and physical wounds. Some of us do. It occasionally happens that some of us come to worship and we leave. And we're changed, radically different. Paul, we know, fell down on the road to Damascus. He was blind. He regained his sight. The world looked completely new to him. Something deep inside of him was different. He had an agency, a direction. There was a power that took hold of his life. And some of us truly do have these kinds of moments in worship on Sunday morning. We arrive holding weights on our backs inside of ourselves and we leave feeling unburdened. Or we arrive feeling unburdened and we leave with a sacred yoke, a, an obligation, a duty to love and serve our neighbors that feels like a joy. That kind of change happens in worship and it may even happen to some of you today. One of you could make a decision this very day to use your life anew to heal and bless and nurture another of God's precious souls. Truth is, for most of us, our conversion to the way of Jesus takes a lot longer to unfold. We are changing. We are changing and being changed in response to what we see and what we hear and we feel in this worship place. But the change is often not something that happens in a way that we can always see. It happens over time, sometimes weeks or months or decades. Why does it take so long? <laughs> Why does it take so long for us to be changed? Is it because we're stubborn? Maybe, right? Maybe a bit. I mean, maybe it's because the preaching and the worship are only just a little bit convincing, right? <laughs> I know that's true. Again, I love reading this passage from Matthew because it reminds me, right, that even those followers of Jesus who were standing on the mountaintop where they had been told to go, they were face to face with the resurrected Jesus. They were getting a rousing speech about, about going and making disciples of all nations and yet some doubted. There's some resistance there, even in the face of the risen Christ. I mean, what else do you need other than that to be changed? Imagine, imagine when I hear this passage, people going to, the, the, uh, going to the Lincoln Memorial and, you know, hearing Martin Luther King declare, I have a dream today. And then going back into your segregated lives and thinking, yeah, yeah, maybe another day. Change is hard. Especially deep and meaningful and lasting change. It's outrageous that we don't jump out of our seats and respond to God's love. On the other hand, we get it. The kind of change that we're invited into in this space is hard, and it makes sense that it takes 
a long time. Consider for just a minute this morning what it is to be a person of faith, what it is to, to inhabit this tradition that we call Christianity, that we call walking in the way of Jesus. First, you're invited to come to know God, to come to know God and all of God's fullness, God's faithfulness to us, God's character, God's love and kindness, God's mercy. That's a lot to take in. And then you're invited to come to know Jesus, this odd and wonderful man who lived so long ago, who, who touched people's lives and loved people no matter their circumstances, this man who lived with such courage and such tenderness. It takes a while to get to know him and to trust him. And it takes a while to get to know the Holy Spirit, this thing that we really can't even see around us, right, which moves silently and quietly but relentlessly reconciling us to one another even across our harshest lines of enmity boy it sure takes a while to get to know the spirit it takes a while too i think to believe that god's own hands are at work in our lives that our lives are shaped not just by our biology we're not just uh, acting according to our free will, but there is a godly presence in our lives shaping us like the potter works the clay. Creating us, creating you for a purpose that employs your gifts and upholds the common good. Like trusting that that's happening in your life takes a little while, I think. It takes a while to discover that you belong. Not just to yourself, not just to your immediate family, to your blood relations, but you belong to a community of people that is diverse as the people in this, this room, but is also as diverse as the whole human race. You belong to a communion of saints. And with these beloveds of God, you come to, to share in the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. All that stuff is a heck of a lot to wrap your mind around. Like it's a lot to wrap your heart around. It's a lot to wrap your lives in and around. It makes sense that it takes us a while. You are changing. Your interior and exterior lives are changing. But this change happens in increments that we ourselves can't even perceive. Only if you were to be able to stand back and look at your life, not even by weeks, but by decades, would you see some of those changes. And when you did, you'd see long, fallow periods in your life when it looks like nothing was happening, nothing was changing in your own life. But then you'd see periods of radical growth and transformation in faith and in love, and you'd come to know those changes as the blossoming of the fruits and the flowers that had been hiding in the seed of your life for years. For years when it looked like nothing was going on. So we are dedicated. We are dedicated by God for a purpose. The word dedication comes to us from the Latin. The root means setting it apart. You are set apart. Something that is dedicated is set apart for a special purpose. And so here at the end of worship, every week, 
after we have encountered the living God, we are set apart. We're dedicated, set apart from business as usual, set apart for the life to which God has called you and is calling you today. How do we do that? How do we dedicate ourselves? How do we set ourselves apart? Three ways. We do it with our prayers. Among all the words that you know, the language of prayer is, is the language by which you find words that trace out the path that connect you and God. In prayer, you name God. You name who God is to you. You offer your gratitude for God's gifts to you and you ask God for help navigating the troubles that you have. And so often in prayer, we are impelled to think in our mind's eye of a very particular person and we ask in prayer for God to bless that person. So we set ourselves apart by the words that we find in prayer. We also dedicate ourselves by our offerings. Only the most cynical among us sees the passing of the offering plate as something rote and meaningless. What is really happening in the offering time is a softening of our hearts, a reorientation to our true purpose in life. For we hear and we know that we are designed as human beings to love and to serve our purpose is to offer ourselves to others. So during the time of our offering, we search for particular people whom we are called to tend to. The offering that matters every week is not so much the offering that we put in the offering plate, but it's the offering of your own intention when you say in your own mind, this week, God, you are calling me to love and serve and a particular person comes in your mind's eye, and you know that is the person that you are called to be with. So we set ourselves apart. We dedicate ourselves through our self-offerings. And then finally, in our dedication, at the very end of worship, we receive a blessing. As we leave worship every week, we are reminded of the basics of our faith that we are loved deeply and irrevocably, that we bear an invisible mark of love that covers us and accompanies us and carries us out into the world. I love the poem that we read in service today. It talks about how the noise of the world tends to obscure the truth how important it is that words of love filter through the noise to remind us who we are. We think of our blessing, our benediction in the same way. The words that filter through the noise that we can take with us as we go. And the blessing, God's favor is extended to all people, but not just to all people, to us in particular. And all the practices of our dedication, our prayers, our offering, and the blessing, God's love for all things takes a particular shape. 
That is how we come to know the breadth and length and height and depth of God's love. By letting it take a particular shape and form in your own life. We know that God loves the world. But our calling is to love a particular part of the world with our own particular selves. So, we're all going to leave today. My favorite expression is, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. We're all going to leave worship today. Some of you will leave on fire. You'll, you'll have heard something today that is exciting and cool and scary. And you will be aware of God's profound love and acceptance of you. And you will see clearly your own prodigious gifts. And you will feel an urge to share them in a particular way with particular people in your life. And that will be truly exciting. But most of you will leave today and it will seem like nothing has changed. You will go to lunch in about 45 minutes. And someone will ask you about the sermon and you will not remember a word of it. And you may wonder if you got anything out of this time at all. That is as it should be. Dedicating our lives, setting them apart for God is not mechanical, it is not linear, and it is certainly not immediate. Trusting that God loves us, trusting that God loves our enemies, trusting that God's hand is at work in our lives, shaping us and forming us in the pattern of merciful love. All of that is too wonderful for us to take in at one time. It does, in fact, take a lifetime. But you are being changed. Even today, even in the days to come, you might not see it. Even on the mountaintop with Jesus, with the risen Christ, some doubted. But trust the God who began a good work in you at your birth will be faithful to complete it. And so today, as we move from word into dedication, know this. You have been set apart. You are loved. And you are made to love someone else. This is God's good news now and always. Thanks be to God. Amen.